Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In the grand scheme of climate change, the expansion of public transit is an inescapable environmental need. And yet the systems of trains and buses that run throughout the Bay Area carry enormous burdens from the past. Their budgets are constrained and new projects difficult to complete. Then the pandemic cratered their ridership and finances. Things are slowly creeping back, but there are major political disputes about how exactly to return to service. We speak with leaders from four of the area's transit agencies about re-emerging from COVID, their future plans, and why the Bay Area service has been cut so drastically. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Public transit ridership is slowly rising after the pandemic forced transit agencies to cut services. Few other agencies across the nation decreased service as much as Muni and BART. San Francisco ridership was at 39% of pre-pandemic levels in May, according to a recent San Francisco Chronicle analysis. Here's your chance to talk with leaders from BART, SFMTA, AC Transit, and Valley Transportation Authority about restoring service, their plans to entice you back, or whatever else is on your mind. What should these agencies prioritize as they re-expand services? You can give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Let me introduce our panel here. We're joined by Deborah DeGang, Chief Planning and Programming Officer at Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority, also known as VTA. Thanks for coming on, Deborah. Thank you very much. Pleasure to, pleasure to join you. We also have Michael Hirsch, General Manager at AC Transit. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Happy to be here. Got Bob Powers, General Manager at BART. Hi, happy to be here. And we have Jeffrey Tumlin, Director of Transportation for SFMTA, a.k.a. Muni. Thanks for coming on, Good Jeffrey. Good morning. Um, Deborah, I want to start with you and just acknowledge the loss of nine of your co-workers at VTA during the mass shooting. That attack is obviously complicated, restoring services. But can you give us an update on where VTA stands on getting back to pre-pandemic service levels? Yeah, thank you very much. And um, I just want to start out by thanking both our, our board chair, Glenn Hendricks, and our interim GM, Evelyn Tran, with 
with really setting the tone as to how to, from day one, from minute one, as to how to, to start to recover from that tragedy. And one of the biggest things is they really set our priorities is what, what was most important was taking care of the victims' families, taking care of employees, and taking care of our writers. And in that priority order, that you know, we really had to focus on those needs and the needs of our employees in particular, encouraging them to take advantage of support services and counseling. Otherwise, you know, how do we re- recover from a tragedy mm-hmm. like that? And the support from the transit industry and, and AC Transit, thank you, Mike Hirsch, you know, who, and as well as Sam Trans, who sent buses and operators the following day, you know, Muni, Golden Gate Transit, Santa Cruz Metro sent buses and operators so that our employees could grieve um, and support each other. So what we're in the process of doing right now is really making a plan for, you know, how, how do how do we restructure? How do we recover um, and start offering that service again? So we're in the midst of making that plan, you know, thanks to the state legislature who just approved some funding um, to, to do some of the physical improvements, to, to pay for some of that grievance counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, can't thank our employees enough who have worked yeah. through such a difficult time um, because that's, you know, we're really, we're really looking at this point, you know, the, those few days ahead so that we can lift our heads a little bit and look at how do we recover from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, it was $20 million was allocated for that. Will that get you what you need in terms of being able to, the, the actual physical infrastructure that was um, broken up during the attack? Uh, we're still in the midst of assessing that, but that's, that's definitely going to, to help us um, with some of that physical infrastructure. But that's uh, honestly part of the assessment we're doing right now is what are those physical needs? How do we address the emotional needs of our employees and and where are they able to come back to work? And if we need more than that, then how do we go about doing that planning for the the short, medium and long term? But that's definitely the step in the right direction. Um, And and to, to do that planning took some of the same individuals that are most directly affected. So, you know, some of this is just taking a bit of time to get the right people around the table and, and to, to be sensitive about how to really address these issues. Um, and again, I have to just really call out to the rest of the transit industry who has offered their help and support um, in terms of providing assistance um, in, in this decision making and um, and expertise as we go through this very difficult time. Really has been impressive to see other buses from other areas down there and just sort of the the commitment of the, the Bay Area to support our own. Um, Bob Powers, uh, general manager at BART. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a BART rider, um, and I've noticed ridership slowly creeping back up on my way into work. What's your plan to try and bring back really like the large numbers of, of riders onto, onto the trains? Yeah, thanks. So, so first, uh, thanks for being a BART rider. And, um, and it's great to hear that. Um, I was out in the system last night and um, I can uh, report that, um, you know, that we're, we're clean um, in June, just this, this past month, we, put more service out in the system with 26 trains during peak hour and 16 on the weekends. We'll be back to pre-COVID ridership um, in August by on August 30th. That's and pre-pandemic so service levels, right? So that's like, you'll have restored yeah. all the service that exists. That's right. That. Yeah. And uh, so what we're doing, you know, to get people back to um, 
couple things. One, cleaner trains and cleaner stations, you know, focusing back on traditional cleaning, picking up the, you know, the cars and the clean restrooms. That's one big one. Two, a more of a presence in the system. We have a progressive policing bureau that um, working with the BART board of directors and Bevan Dufty and Latifah Simon, we really um, focusing on um, getting a presence out in the system, an unarmed presence, you know, to work through some of these quality of life challenges that folks are having. And then the, uh, the other thing we're doing is 50% off all Clipper fares for the entire month of September. Um, and so we think, you know, that combination will be very successful in lowering riders and bringing the ridership back to BART and to all public transit in the Bay Area. Bob, a listener tweets, please extend BART hours. Stopping service at nine means people cannot rely on BART to come home from work or dinners out. With ride share prices surging, BART is losing out on serious revenue and goodwill. Extend service until 11 or 12 on Fridays and Saturdays ASAP. When's that going to happen? Well, um, it'll, it'll definitely happen on August 30th. I was able to, BART was able to piece together some limited night service um, that's crosswalked against the Giants home games. Um, but what we're doing right now, you know, it's not, it, it's right now, it's more of a function of staffing and training and making sure that we have uh, the team assembled here to, when we put the service back out on, that um, we'll be able to sustain that service. And so we're working very hard I get those emails. I get those calls about the need for BART to, you know, get back to pre-pandemic service levels. Um, I don't take those very lightly. They're very serious. And we're doing all we can to do that. Um, and um, August 30th um, is the goal there to do that. Um, and we're if I can get it done before that, I'll do it. Michael tweets, much respect for operators and support staff. Dismayed at how long it will take to resume service levels on some parts of Muni. I want to read another comment, and then I'm going to come to you, Jeffrey Tumlin. Matt tweets, restoring service to pre-pandemic conditions is probably a bad option. Quote, never waste a crisis. We should reallocate service to routes with current demand. Jeffrey Tumlin, you've been at the center of... Uh, a lot of different factions pushing for different kinds of changes to service. And I think the, the, the big question for Muni is, do you go back to restore service, say, like on the Balboa line, around which there's been a lot of activism? Well, COVID completely un- upended our ridership patterns. Uh, before COVID, the biggest source of our ridership was that giant collection of office buildings in the financial district, which now sit empty. So while overall muni service, uh, our ridership is up to about 36% of pre-pandemic levels on our main lines, uh, particularly lines like the 14 Rapid, um, we're seeing 94% of our pre-COVID ridership. Um, Essential workers uh, are not necessarily going to the financial district. So they're going in between our institutions and uh, neighborhood commercial districts. And so for most of our main lines, the weekend ridership is well over 50% of pre-COVID ridership. So what we're trying to do is to figure out how do we allocate our limited service hours in order to serve a dramatically changed set of travel patterns um, and particularly focus on our equity neighborhoods and our essential workers while supporting uh, a very slow 
uh, economic recovery and return to office in downtown San Francisco. So we're, we're uh, uh, bringing on some outside consultants to help us better understand how travel has changed and how to best allocate our limited resources. I mean, in, in practice, what does that mean for your, your everyday muni rider? Like, are, are, is most bus service going to remain the same or are we likely to see really like wide scale system level changes? Well, our, our main lines, uh, the lines that we invested heavily in during COVID, um, those lines are experiencing extremely high ridership, um, in part because we invested in making those lines fast, frequent, and reliable during COVID. Um, in San Francisco, we have, or we will shortly have built 20 miles of new transit-only lanes across the city, more than any other city in the country. We also abandoned schedules on our main line and switched to what we call headway management. Uh, which asks the operators to just space themselves out evenly. The result of that is on our main lines, our buses are up to 20% faster and more than 20% more reliable than they were pre-COVID. Um, and that is attracting riders back. Um, what our riders have told us they want is fast, frequent, and reliable service. So now we're uh, uh, stuck with the question of, do we have to cut frequency in our main lines in order to restore some of the secondary lines? Uh, what is the right balance point uh, in order to, again, serve the changing uh, travel patterns? We are talking with leaders of Bay Area transit agencies about restoring service. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. This is your chance to grill your transit agency leaders. We'll be back with more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about post-pandemic public transit recovery with Deborah DeGang, Chief Planning and Programming Officer at Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority, Bob Powers, General Manager at BART, Jeffrey Tumlin, Director of Transportation at Muni, and Michael Hirsch, General Manager at AC Transit. Um, Michael, I want to ask you just about AC Transit's basic positioning right now. What's, what's the ridership look like? What's your plan to restore service? Yeah, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Our ridership today is at about 69,000 daily riders. To put that in perspective, pre-pandemic, we were at about 175,000 daily riders. That included 30,000 student trips, trips to school, riders to school. That obviously is is not happening right now. 
We also carried nearly 15,000 people uh, on our trans-bay service, mostly to San Francisco, as, as Jeffrey commented in the financial district. That ridership is less than 1,000 right now. Um, our critical factor to restoring service is being able to hire operators. Um, if I can put a shameless plug in for actransit.org slash careers, we desperately are trying to hire, train, and, and, and ultimately get more service out on the street. Um, we had to have social distancing limitations on the buses, which fortunately have been lifted earlier in June. We were literally passing customers up because we did not have the capacity. So it's a race for us to hire and put more service out as quickly as we can. Um, it's getting people to come to work for AC Transit. Um, excellent jobs. I want to give a shout out to our operators and maintenance folks. Um, truly heroic during the pandemic. Uh, we know that over 43% of our riders during the pandemic, and again, we're 70, nearly 70,000, don't even have access to a car. We, we truly have a transit dependent ridership and we know we have to restore service as quickly as we can. Yeah. And when, when do you think you'll have service back up to pre-pandemic levels? When will you be able to get that hiring done? I think it's probably going to be March of next year. Um, we're trying to go quicker. Um, we have right now, we have full classes, but we're not sure if we're going to be able to continue to sustain that. So I don't want to overpromise to the public. So conservatively March, but, but that's not going to stop us. If we can go faster, we will. Why, why is it so hard to hire new operators? Well, first off, I think we're all competing against each other. I think all the transit agencies in the Bay area are trying to do so. Uh, we, we have a retirement eligible population, the silver tsunami, as we call it. So we have a, a fairly high attrition, six to eight operators per month are retiring. Um, it's a it's a difficult job. It's, it's a heroic job. It's a job where you're serving the public and, and it takes a special person to find that connection with the community and public service. Um, the hours can be long. Um, Everything that happens in society happens on that on that bus or that train. Um, I will tell you that the people that make the connection with the with the true public service that we're providing, they love the job. But I think there's a lot of job opportunities out there right now, and we're and we're competing against each other to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, let's bring in uh, Steve from Oakland, California. Hi. Um, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Despite the fact that um, uh, you know there, there isn't uh, there are capacity problems right now, long term um, uh, for public transit in the Bay Area, you know there needs to be an increase in uh, the ridership for uh, these whole systems to be viable. And given um, uh, the fact that Caltrans, you know, since 2014 has been uh, talking about. Uh, reducing private vehicle use, I'm surprised that public agencies in general um, and the local governments aren't uh, um, doing a lot of the outreach for, uh, you know, for getting the public to ride transit. Um, so that's uh, one point uh, um, uh, I wanted to make. Everything from uh, um, city office uh, offices and services to uh, regional parks really uh, ought to have a public uh, ought to have a transit first policy 
for uh, the public that uses their services. Uh, the other thing um, uh, I wanted to raise was uh, um, that really more could be done in terms of coordinating schedules region-wide. Um, you know, there once again, there's been a lot of, I've observed a lot of underused capacity. You can really get uh, everywhere in the uh, Bay Area, if the greater Bay Area and beyond, uh, by bus and train, uh, if the uh, services uh, match up, it's taken uh, uh, a certain amount of ingenuity uh, till now, but there's uh, more that could be uh, done mm -hmm. to make uh, um, uh, public transit the uh, preferred way of getting around all over in terms Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate that. Jeffrey Tumlin, you, I feel like Muni is kind of the center of this debate, in part because San Francisco, progressive city, tons of people talk about transit-first planning and, and development, and yet it's not as if Muni's budget is, is overflowing. Like, how do you sort of figure out what to do when people say they want more transit, but the actual money isn't there? Yeah, that's the thing that I spend the most time worrying about is how do I deal with the fact that our underlying financials are fundamentally broken? Uh, when I took this job on, we had about a 15% vacancy and a deep structural deficit that was growing, something that we've known about for decades. Uh, every five years, somebody comes and does a deep audit of Muni and discovers that there is a structural deficit and develops a plan to try to do something about that, and then nothing happens. So COVID exacerbated our underlying structural deficit, and it's gonna require us to get creative about how we fund public transportation, not just in San Francisco, but in the region as well. Um, all of our key sources of funding are in decline uh, relative to our expenses. Um, so that is our challenge, and it requires that we get on the ballot in 2022 uh, in order to have any hope of getting back to pre-COVID levels, let alone finally delivering the mobility system that a city like San Francisco needs. So in the meantime, our task is to get more efficient. And that's why we're investing in transit-only lanes and urging the region to uh, reallocate travel lanes on the state highway system and our major arterials to prioritize the movement of people and goods, not just the movement of vehicles. We could move so many more people across the Bay Bridge if we converted a lane in each direction to uh, transit or uh, carpool only, um, along with the approaches in the East Bay. Um, this is something that is not just in the interest of the East Bay, but the whole region in order to make the system work. We can't do timed transfers if services are slow and unreliable. Mm -hmm. The biggest reason why people choose to take transit or not is based upon travel time and reliability. We need to make the system faster and more reliable in order to make it attractive and in order to make it possible for it to be coordinated as one system for the users. From your perspective, why is the budget broken at the at that deeper level? Obviously, right now, fares are off other things, but w what broke the budget? A um, couple of pretty simple factors. So first of all, um, like most service agencies, um, labor drives our expenses. And the cost of labor rises not with inflation, but with the cost of living in a region that is very expensive and that consistently refuses to build housing. So our, our costs rise with the cost of living. Meanwhile, our revenues are either flat or declining. 
So at Muni, we have three primary sources of money. One is a fixed amount from the general fund. And the other two are parking fees, which have been consistently declining as a result of Uber and Lyft. When it's faster and cheaper to take Uber and Lyft than it is to drive and park, you know, fine, but that means we're losing the money that funds the, the Muni system. And then the third factor is fares. And every year we have consistently, because of our equity goals, uh, directed more of our resources to removing costs as a barrier for low-income people. So right now, uh, about 18% of San Franciscans are now eligible for, uh, for, free, for free fares on Muni. Um, which is important to us, but it also means that our fair revenue is declining at the same time that our expenses are rising. And every year that gap gets a little bit wider. And historically we've papered over that gap by deferring maintenance, which is why our service is unreliable. Um, so I have the deeply unpopular assignment of no longer pretending that we don't have a problem and instead doing the hard work to figure out how to close that gap. Yeah, I was about to say, Jeffrey, your job sounds awesome. Let's go to Milana in Berkeley. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I was a reliable rider of the ACE bus over by the Claremont with my bike um, coming into the Trans Bay. Uh, we were always sort of jockeying for bike positions because a lot of the buses only had a few spots. But that line has now disappeared. Uh, I rode it a few times at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was the only one, understandably. So I'm curious in terms of sort of consolidating your service lines. Uh, it was always a crowded bus. There was a lot of people. Maybe traffic um, conditions have changed and people are taking electric cars, et cetera. Is our lines just going to disappear? Is the e-bus going to come back? Like, how do you make that determination? What's the communication strategy to say, hey, we're back? Because mm -hmm. I've been looking for it, and it seems that it's just canceled. Um, and then once people do start to ride again, you know, I'm a physician, so I've been vaccinated for a while. Um, but are you going to then limit seating again? Or, you know, am I going to be able to get on there with my bike if it ever comes back? So those are some of the questions that I have. That, those are great questions. Michael Hirsch, AC Transit. Yeah, so, so certainly it's not eliminated. It's, it's on pause, if you will. We're prioritizing restoring service as quick as possible, I mentioned in my earlier comments. So nothing has been eliminated. Um, we, would, we actually do have a public process planned to, to reimagine the network. We're very curious and watching very closely what's happening with offices reopening. Will we have that strong Transbay ridership? I certainly hope we will. You know, all of our problems with, with climate change, uh, polluting vehicles, they're still there. We need people to ride public transit. So nothing is canceled. Uh, as I commented, as fast as we can hire operators, we will restore service. Uh, nothing is eliminated. And if I can chime in here, Alex. So one advantage that we had in the South Bay in Santa Clara County is we had just happened in December of 2019 to have implemented our new transit service plan and to have doubled down on what we call our frequent transit network. So when the pandemic hit, we were actually in the rare position that we really didn't cut service and because we had already consolidated much of our service on that frequent transit network. And what we saw was that our essential workers, our transit dependent riders 
were the ones using that frequent transit network. And that's where we saw the bulk of our ridership stay and where we now it's been reinforced. We really need to have that greater investment. As, as Jeff said, we need to see that greater investment go into that network. We'd like to see higher frequencies as we grow transit into the future. But also going back to a previous caller said, you know, how do we have a transit first policy? The piece that's often missing from the conversation is land use. It's often not about how do we spread transit everywhere. It's really about how do we get our local jurisdictions to have better land use policies. All of the transit agencies that are on the call right now have really good transit networks. We need land use policies that have higher densities, higher development, near transit hubs, near frequent transit networks so that we can better serve it. Sprawl is really difficult to serve with transit. So, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's get those higher developments closer to transit nodes. And then that's really going to help us both to provide better transit service, have less VMT, have less congestion and cleaner air. And Deborah, um, I wanted to follow up on the higher frequency routes, essentially concentrating more of the trips around a, a smaller number of routes. And I think the question is, does that harmonize with the equity goals that most of the transit authorities uh, seem to also be talking about? Yeah, I, I, yes, very much so. So what was really proved out in the pandemic was that our frequent transit routes are the ones that are the, the backbones of um, the neighborhoods that have our essential workers, have our transit dependent populations. So what we did as part of that process was really our, our frequent transit networks also go well with where people need the transit service. So rather than doing kind of the, the peanut butter spread approach of putting a little bit of the coverage approach, put a little bit of transit everywhere, whether or not people need it, is have that, that spine system of a free, frequent transit network and then where people are more likely to ride transit, which is also, again, in our county, um, similar to what Mike Hirsch was saying for AC Transit, we have a very high transit dependent population. You know, a good 40% of our riders are transit dependent. Um, another 30% of our riders um, are, are school-based population, whether it's at the school-age kids or college students. So they really need the transit system. They're, they're really riding this backbone of the system versus, you know, windy roads and low density suburban areas, which frankly might be more white collar workers who could stay home during the pandemic. Um, so we really saw that this idea of having a, a frequent transit network that provided service to your more transit dependent population was really the most effective way to do it. Yeah. One listener tweets, um, been working at BART for eight years and was told last year to be ready for a layoff because changing politics could mean that transit would most likely lose funding for years to come. I wouldn't comfortably advise anyone to get this job under these conditions when they can just be laid off. Um, I want to come to you, Bob Powers. We've been talking about a labor shortage. Um, did something change over the last year, aside from the pandemic, something fundamental change about the labor situation? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, when we, at the onset of the pandemic, I think BART, along with many of the other transit operators, both locally, um, statewide, nationally, 
you know, looked at, you know, hiring freezes and, um, you know, looked at cost savings measures um, on that side of that, you know, and BART was um, able to, you know, with those measures and a retirement incentive program that we put together and put out for uh, employees that had been with BART and their service to moving the Bay Area had a very successful participation in this retirement incentive program, um, which is going to save BART uh, about $20 million in the out years every year. And so we were able to weather this pandemic without laying anybody off. And that was done in partnership with our unions. It couldn't have been done without, you know, working closely with ATU, SEIU, AFSCME. And so, you know, that's a very... Um, proud uh, accomplishment for BART that we were able to do that. Um, but, you know, that kind of ripples into some of the discussions that you were just having about, okay, so now we were there collectively, tra public transit, and now we need to staff back up. And staffing back up is not only the hiring part, as, you know, Mike Hirsch was walking you through, but it's also the training part. Mm -hmm. And it's a very it's a, um, you know, it's a very uh, extensive training program at BART um, and at the other transit operators, you know, not only on the BART system, but, you know, working with our, op our operations control center and our BART police department and um, safety training. So, um, you know, a, kind of a long answer there, but um, we were able to weather this without laying anybody off. And the other piece I would just like to add, um, that I would just like to thank all the advocates out there for public transit, our local elected officials, our state elected, and working with the federal delegation on, on the need for federal um, health. And um, whether it was the, yep. the CARES money, the CRISA money, the ARP funding. Thank so you for that. Bob, we'll be back with more after the break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about post-pandemic public transit recovery with Deborah DeGang from VTA, Michael Hirsch, general manager at AC Transit, Bob Powers, general manager at BART, and Jeffrey Tumlin, director of transportation at Muni. What should Bay Area public transit agencies prioritize as they return to pre-pandemic service? What would you like to see changed? If you're an employee of these agencies, member of one of the unions, what are your thoughts and concerns? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We have a couple of comments that are both kind of in the same vein. So I'm going to read them both, and then I'm going to come to the panel. Dave tweets, between getting the drivers back and emergency hazard pay, we need to talk about regional connectivity. We need fair integration and network management. Bruce writes, for my commute from the East Bay to the peninsula, the cost of driving my electric car is comparable to that of riding BART. Also, a BART trip usually takes longer. That and the homeless and crime problems will keep me off BART for the foreseeable future. We've got a lot of questions and comments about both safety 
and about sort of what a future more regionally connected system should look like. I mean, even just booking the show, we realized that we would need to get, you know, more than half a dozen people just to talk about the major transit agencies of the Bay. Um, is there any hope in the long term that perhaps we'll have a much more integrated transit system? Uh, and I guess I'll start with you, Bob Powers. Yeah, I would say hope is here and that hope is on the way as well. Um, the transit operators are meeting weekly, um, coordinating, cooperating. Um, we are looking at our transit hubs and making better connectivity. And we've had great deal of success with the connection for, and I'll give you one example, Alexis, um, the connection between BART and Caltrain down on the peninsula at Millbrae. Um, we changed the platform we came in. <clears throat> we made sure our schedules were better coordinated and it's been a huge success. Discussions are going on with the BRTF right now about network management and they're very collaborative and very positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deborah DeGang, how about you? Do you think that VTA might end up as part of a, a larger regional network? Well, I, I think coordin- I think network coordination is really important for those making regional trips. And as, as Bob said, like we just opened in the last year two BART stations in the South Bay. So for those people that are making regional trips, that's very important. But I think we also need to lo- need need to lot lose sight of the fact, and again from an equity perspective, that a great majority of our transit riders in the Bay Area are not making regional trips in Santa Clara County. So keep in mind, Santa Clara County is the largest county in the Bay Area. In any other part of the country, we would be considered a region. Um, We are also, as a county, projected to have the highest growth of both housing and jobs in the region. So something like 85% of our residents live and work within the county. So when we talk about regional travel, we can't lose sight, and this is true of other counties as well. Many people in San Francisco County, Oakland, um, Alameda County, San Mateo County, live and work within their counties. So we can't get so focused on regional trips that we lose sight of how many people travel much more locally and how much of an impact that has on congestion and air quality. So part of the reason to have more localized transit is because that's important. And again, in Santa Clara County, we're one transit agency for the entire county. It's not like we have four or five different agencies, but we do connect to regional rail, whether that's BART, or Caltrain or um, ACE that goes all the way out to the San Joaquin Valley. But to Bob's point, um, one of the things that has been a positive pandemic is we are coordinating more closely, we're looking for opportunities and we're finding really good success stories of how to do that coordination, how to look at that regional travel um, and improve on it. And I think we're making great strides in that. we can continue to communicate and look for ways to improve, but I can't emphasize enough, and you know, I'll use the word equity over and over again, that we cannot, we cannot shift funds from our transit-dependent population that tends to make more local trips to regional travel. When we improve regional travel, we really need to look to our state and federal government for additional funding as we improve that. And I think Jeff Tumlin mentioned this earlier in terms of what's broken in terms of budget is transit's one of the few modes of transportation that we expect to fund itself to such a large extent. We really need to look at other ways to find new funding sources. Let's bring in Guillermo from Oakland. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, thank you for taking my phone call. I have a question for your panel in general. Uh, we, the, the taxpayers, we've been passing initiatives and we've been paying taxes for improvements. And every time that I hear uh, this kind of conversations over, you guys always asking for money. So where is my dollar taxes? Where are the improvements that you guys promote? I also know that some folks who retired during the pandemic, their pensions are very healthy and they retire from bar and public transportation. So is my tax dollars are going to the pensions of those folks or it goes to the improvements? And if it's for the improvements, where are those improvements? And why are you justified to come back to us and ask us for more money? Yeah. Guillermo, thank you for that. I think transit advocates out there would want me to note that highway spending also uh, obviously runs on on tax funding as well and tends to be quite large. But let's let's give this one to uh, Jeffrey Tumlin. How would you answer, Guillermo? Um, so uh, again, it goes back to um, some of the ways in which taxation is broken in California. So for example, property taxes as a result of Prop 13 are capped at the value of the home when it was originally purchased. So property tax declines over time relative to our expenses. And most of our other taxes, unless they're indexed to inflation, also decline in value over time as our expenses rise uh, based upon the cost of living. So it's very frustrating to us as managers to continue to have to go back and ask for more money because the value of uh, our, our, our tax revenues declines as a result of ways in which California is fundamentally structurally broken around how we fund government services. The other challenge that we face is that um, while we're trying to make improvements, the rest of the world is acting against us. I would argue uh, that I think this is particularly problematic with regard to congestion. So when we allow our highways and our HOV lanes and our streets to get congested, that means transit is less effective and it also means we have to cut frequency. So what we've been trying to argue is that the best way to get value out of transit is to protect it from congestion so that we can be fast, frequent, and reliable and make a far better use of our limited taxpayer uh, resources and also to make sure that we have revenue sources that rise with our expenses and most importantly are stable over time so that we're not jerked around having to Higher and then go into hiring freezes and defer maintenance and deal with a, a chaotic situation um, when what is needed is stable, reliable resources. Let's go to Paul in Berkeley. Hi. Uh, yes, um, I just want to make sure that elevators on the BART system are fully operable for disability passengers. Otherwise, it can be a real disaster, as you could imagine. Yeah, thank you for that, Paul. I've been ridden around with my friend Crystal, and it can be very, very, very tough when we can't find an elevator. Um, how would you uh, answer that, uh, Bob Powers? Yeah. <clears throat> Access at BART is a, a very high priority. We're, we're definitely focusing on that, whether it's the elevators or our new escalator program and replacing escalators throughout the system, initially focusing on the high use stations. We have, we're monitoring the elevators um, and we're making improvements. And some elevators, we're staffing the elevators with attendants 
to make sure that um, uh, they're clean and um, ready for use. So that vertical mobility um, is very important to BART and access to the BART system is very important to us. You know, we've gotten a bunch of different questions about cleaning uh, through time on about all the services. And I was wondering, Michael Hirsch, if there's anything that the pandemic, you know, with there's so much talk about deep cleaning, is there anything that um, you've taken away from this, the new types of pandemic cleaning that will stay in the, this new era? Well, yeah, we, we started fogging our buses specifically with the, with the agents that, that target COVID. Um, we were the, one of the first agencies to uh, equip the buses with masks and sanitizer. I think the sanitizer will stay. The masks we know are, are required, and I would encourage the riding public, please do wear your mask. It's a TSA requirement at least through mid-September of this year. We know, it's already been commented on today, we need clean, safe, reliable. So we will continue to, to make cleaning a, a focused effort. I wanted to go back and talk about the, the taxpayer dollars. The other thing about a clean bus is we're investing in and have a plan to be 100% zero emission by 2040. We have 55 battery electric buses on order. We have the largest fleet of hydrogen fuel cell buses. So the public will see new buses. We're retiring 17 year old diesel buses with new zero emission buses, uh, clean tailpipe as well as clean interior. Just a couple of other uh, comments I'd like to read here. Jessica tweets, I'm one of many people in the Bay Area who requires transit to live here independently as I'm visually impaired. I've used transit throughout the pandemic and hope it can get back to pre-COVID service levels as soon as possible. Natalie tweets, making things in our area accessible is important. I live in Contra Costa and am uh, disabled. The lack of some bus routes beyond a few streets means that paratransit won't go to most places that are not downtown. I'm considering an e-trike purchase for a five-mile trip. I legit can't do by bus. Um, Let's go to Janet in Berkeley. Hi. Um, I guess my concern is that I am a um, a longtime rider of BART, but I've, my son went to college in Washington, D.C., and the trains there are impeccably uh, clean. They have stainless steel seats where they are sanitized. I work in healthcare, and and the BART seats are usually cloth. They're not. They're, they're filthy. You've got homeless people. Um, that probably and may not have been vaccinated, walking around the trains, getting in, in, in passengers' faces. It's not safe physically for a female to be on BART uh, after certain hours or even during the day. And then you've got the sanitation issue. I haven't noticed anything cleaner about BART or seeing people cleaning the trains or wiping down seats or anything of that nature. I've actually seen people who've thrown up. And, and it's on the floor in the BART trains. And so, you know, it's just a really unsafe, unsanitary environment. And so I've heard AC Transit talk about how they're addressing it, but I have not heard anything from BART about, um, I mean, cleaning the bathrooms. I, I just, I'd never use your bathrooms, but I've also used your trains. And it's extremely disappointing when you compare it to the Washington, D.C. trains and how well-maintained they are and how clean they are and how their seats are, are easily sanitized. Um, between passengers if people want to do that themselves. Can you comment on that? Uh, and especially with the cost of BART. BART is extremely expensive. The average person making $13 or $15 an hour can't afford to ride BART and then not be safe and not have a clean train. 
Bob Powers, obviously one of yeah. the you provide social services, in fact, like on on Bard in, in a lot of ways. Um, how would you uh, answer Janet's um, yeah. complaints? Well, first, let me apologize for your experience there. Um, that's never um, a good experience. I would respond uh, three points. One, we have hired dozens of cleaners and their job is to be walking through the trains, wiping down the seats, picking up the trains. And that's um, a recent effort that we have to welcome riders back to that. Um, we have changed out all of our filter systems that we use. And we're using these MERV 14 filters um, to, for ventilation um, to improve the ventilation system throughout there. We're doubling down on cleaning the restrooms. And then the third piece of that I would answer, Alexis, is... Um, our progressive policing to have a presence in the system um, and folks walking around the trains and on the platforms. Yeah. Let's go to John in San Francisco. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, John. Yeah, I live in the Western Edition and uh, the 21 Hayes bus has been down for a year and a half. I want to know why. That's a good question. Jeffrey Tumlin? So as a result of COVID, uh, we had to eliminate uh, over 40% of muni lines in order to protect the health and safety of our operators and to make sure that we were offering sufficient frequency in our main lines to enable social distancing uh, while minimizing uh, leaving people uh, behind at the curb. So now that uh, some of our inefficiencies or COVID-related inefficiencies are being lifted, uh, we're steadily uh, restoring service. Um, but again, as a result of our structural deficit, um, there is no way we can get to pre-COVID levels of service without additional ongoing um, operating funding support. Um, so we're starting a consultant-led process right now to figure out how best to allocate um, our remaining resources um, and also to help us figure out how do we get the stable financial base that we need in order to get back to 100% of service or um, actually 110 or more service um, so that we can deliver the transportation system that San Francisco needs? Why did San Francisco have to cut service so much more than other metro areas? Um, we took COVID in many ways more seriously than other metro areas, um, driven in large part by Dr. Grant Colfax of the Department of Public Health and Mayor Breed. Um, the same reasons why San Francisco has had the lowest COVID rate and highest vaccination rate in the country uh, are reasons why um, we had to cut service and why our workforce uh, had a significantly lower COVID transmission rate um, than the region did. Uh, we also took cleaning really seriously. So we sent every single bus back to the yard at the end of each shift for complete cleaning and sterilization. Um, and very importantly, uh, because our ridership dropped the least, we needed to actually increase the frequency of service on our main lines so that we could um, deal with social distancing. So we had to reallocate the entirety of Muni service based upon the completely tra changed travel behavior uh, of, uh, you know, th that revealed the geography of essential workers um, as all that downtown office shut down. Let's bring in Xavier from Napa. Hello. Oh, hey, Xavier, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, I just want to comment really quickly uh, that, you know, I wanted to note about the uh, SFMTA, I believe it is, their, their uh, Clipper Card program that is not only just valuable and 
San Francisco, but also in the whole Barrier Rapid Transit system. I'm a disabled veteran, and um, I also am a native San Franciscan, and I just love it. I use it on Muni. Uh, I now live in Napa, and I used to commute on the ferry. It's a half rate, half rate for BART, and I don't know if a lot of listeners are aware of it, but I highly recommend it. It's also for senior citizens, and it is a lifesaver, and I love the program. Thank you so much, Xavier. Always good to remember that actually transit's pretty good for a lot of people, even though we all have our complaints. In fact, it seems like it's one of the great things of an urban area that you get to complain about the transit system because it actually exists. We've been talking about post-pandemic public transit recovery with Deborah DeGang, Chief Planning and Programming Officer at VTA, Michael Hirsch, General Manager at AC Transit, Robert Powers, General Manager at BART, and Jeffrey Tumlin, Director of Transportation at SFMTA. Thanks to all of them for coming on and answering all of your questions. You've been listening to Forum. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.